You're listening to Leadership Game Changers, conversations with heart and humor. My guest today is also a dear friend. Her name is Vibka Renner. Before discovering the transformative power of coaching, she sang professionally as an opera singer across Europe for more than 12 years. In this episode, she's going to tell you really about her two different lives. We're going to learn about her story. She now runs her own coaching practice and trains new coaches. She's a faculty member of CTI, the Coactive Training Institute, and her clients range from conductors to emerging managers, from actors to leaders. She has a passion for equality, diversity, and inclusive systemic change. So you're going to love this. Let's go meet Vibka. Okay, <laughs> Vibka, we're going to dive right in, okay? Oh, yes. So tell me the story of Vibka Renner. The story of Vibka Renner. Uh, so there was this little girl in a little town in the south of Germany. And when she was four years old, her parents took her to the opera. I'm not sure if they didn't find a babysitter or what was going on, but for some reason they took her there. It was a lovely little festival uh, in, in a town called Ludwigsburg and uh, she fell in love with it. Obviously she must have said after the show, I don't want to go home, I'm going to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. So and ever since <laughs> she had that story very often in her childhood and adolescence. So it was kind of clear that she had to claim this dream and she did. So she wanted to be an opera singer, studied singing and became an opera singer. Um, So almost this self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, Most of the time she really enjoyed that profession until she didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> Tell me about when she stopped enjoying that profession. When she stopped enjoying that. Um, it's, it's interesting how the, the being on stage and singing itself is very different from the whole environment and how theaters are structured and how contracts work and how much um, of your own creativity as an artist is actually invited, which I felt (laughs) wasn't so much. Um, Yeah, so she didn't, something just didn't feel right. Oh, actually what happened, um, I really noticed at some point that there's always something more to learn about singing. And I felt like I have like, vocally, artistically, a much greater potential than what was uh, really happening. And someone introduced me to um, a methodology called resonance training, which was all about making the whole body more permeable for sound so that I could actually express my own artistry much more organically and effortlessly and powerfully. And I went to an improvisation course in that methodology, resonance training. And since um, the whole weekend was about improvising and playing and responding in the moment, um, I just also had that insight that I could simply quit my job and I would still be able to respond in the moment to whatever life was offering. So it was a really interesting moment of seeing, okay, what we do here in this little um, playground could be applied to a way of living. That gave me real confidence in, okay, I'm gonna end this contract and see what's next. (laughs) I love that. It's like off to the bigger playground of life with, with this confidence in yourself that you can find your way one, one moment at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it then turned out it was quite a naive way of approaching this um, career decision. As I thought, like, as soon as you close a door, 
a lot of different doors must open. That was really the trust that I had. <laughs> but it didn't feel like that what was happening. Like in retrospect, I would say it still happened, but I couldn't see it at that time. It was really um, quite hard to, to give up my identity as, as an opera singer. I, didn't quite know. I tried a little bit to be then more freelance and thought that would provide me eventually with more freedom. But the, the industry is the same anywhere, whether you have a fixed contract or you're a freelancer, like it's the same rules. Um, and it felt like I had even less freedom than before. Um, also with the whole resonance training, since it's about um, moving your body over your center of gravity and making all the muscles more permeable to whatever is going on, like in terms of sound that you want to produce. But also really, it's about being in relationship with with myself. That was my experience. So with um, um, bringing a different muscle tone into my body, I noticed there was quite a lot of um, stored emotion in me it really was like i, I was very um, a sporty um person <laughs> with a lot of muscles everywhere and i found that sexy and that was important on stage but also that kept me in in a particular way of like habitual way of uh, not being able to feel uh, some of my emotions and then um just through this bodywork all of that could could release and uh, brought to the surface. Um, and ultimately it felt like I was much more in touch with my own truth, which at that time <laughs> brought up only questions. There weren't uh, many answers yet available. It was just, okay, so this is not it. This is also not it. <laughs> I could feel very clearly what wasn't working for me. And I was quite radical in saying no to things. That's great. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was a hard time to like also find what is it then? So what happened? How did you find? How did you how did find I your find way it? in the next chapter? How did I find my way? So, yeah. Um, I thought I could maybe be like, I did the training as a resonance trainer. I wanted to, it, it's fantastic work. I really I deeply believe in that work for musicians that um, it's all about making the, the movement quality, bringing that to the same level as the sound quality and they influence each other and support each other. And I thought it, it really is such a good thing to do. And I started working with musicians on it. But over time, I notice I'm always much more interested in what's really their dream. Maybe they didn't want to make music in the first place. Just said, I didn't, maybe. Um, or what else is important to them? And how are they looking at themselves? And how are they like pretending they're confident, but they are not? Or how the, are they not? Um, really fulfilling their potential in other areas of their life. So naturally it <laughs> moved my interest more into looking at the whole human being behind it. Um, also, I knew I wasn't quite ready to be self-employed, that it was the only way I could be a resonance trainer, but that wasn't the mindset I grew up with. Like I wasn't yeah. an entrepreneur and I clearly knew I needed help on that. So I booked a coach at some point and um, she really gave me the sense only after one session, I felt, okay, there are much more choices for me, how I perceive my situation, not as I failed because I'm now more or less unemployed or not yet uh, self-employed, which has a lot of stigma uh, around in our society. So, Especially in Germany, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how it is in different countries, but yeah, it was. Um, I think here in Spain is it's more common, especially oh, in the south. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it really felt like um, 
people like also my surrounding like parents and friends they didn't quite know what to make of it um and and that was i i felt a little bit alone in that journey and then by working with a coach or starting to work wanting to work with the coach um, that really helped me in terms of okay there is another way i could approach this i could maybe start believing in my own uh the success as a uh, leader of my own life and business ultimately that's fine. However, a, yeah. a question here is what did you discover was truly important to you uh, along that journey it feels like you peeled away the layers of what people had projected onto and you were discovering yeah. what yeah. was truly important to you what, yeah. what was that that was um Firstly, being in a really good relationship with myself. What does Trusting that mean? Myself. What does that mean exactly? Because yeah. I think listeners yeah. would love to know what that exactly means. That means to me um, trusting my intuition, my emotional experience, my truth, and making decisions from that place. Yeah, I think I I really often before that and in my first career i looked very much for role models like whom could i follow who does what looks kind of right and i'm going to do the same thing that's just i don't think i'm the only one that grew up with that kind of yeah. thinking yeah. and then um what resonance training and and thomas the founder of resonance training provided for me like um such a freedom of okay what if we forget about all the rules and societal expectations and really look at what is it that you want and a sense of autonomy and independence and freedom i think was always super important to me mm. yeah So what happened in the next chapter? What happened in that next chapter? So um, another interesting story was that first coach that I worked with, she was uh, pregnant and she said after the first session, there's no way that we can continue in the next uh, couple of months. So I looked what training she did and that was coactive. And I signed up for the training myself, trusting that after five months of training, I would have all my questions. <laughs> Resolved. So I mainly went to the training uh, with the mindset of um, I wanted to work on myself. Yeah. It wasn't about um, learning coaching skills at all for me. Um, it just felt like a natural next step to do. And then, of course, as you um, can imagine, after the five months, I had even more questions about myself rather than answers. Um, but luckily also found um, my next coach that I worked with for uh, five years. Wow. Yeah. And that was really a lot of processing of all that <laughs> emotional material of that first uh, story that I lived through and allowing myself to, to step more fully into what my purpose is on, on this. Uh, so at, at this point in the story, when you when you look back, like who are the two most influential people that got you to that? Exactly. Point? Yeah, I mentioned them both. Um, Thomas was the founder of Resonance Training, um, both through his like immense freedom that he gives himself and everybody around him. Um, also, you can only develop such a methodology if you really um, if you don't follow anybody else's script but your own. I love that. Um, yeah, exactly. And then um, Janelle was my coach that I worked with for five years. And uh, both could really hold me in absolutely um, unconditional love. I could feel in the moments I was so unsure about how to approach this next uh, chapter in my career, they could still they still believed that I, that I was fully capable of it. They didn't judge my emotional, whatever it was that I had to go through. Um, and, and it was really um, super important to have those like two sources of 
love and trust in me. Yeah, yeah what, a, what a gift to have two people like that. Some people don't even have one person in their, in their life that they feel unconditionally loved by. So what a, yeah. what a huge gift. It also says a lot about who you are. Before we move on, I think it would be interesting to share, like if people who are listening wanted to start playing with resonance without having to do the training, is there, are like a couple of tips yeah with people where they could start playing with this concept of resonance and and living uh, more connected to that yes so um they have a couple of important principles i haven't taught this for a long time meanwhile but i do I resonance body work every day i still do the exercises every day and so the thing is um one thing that's really important is allowing the ground underneath you to carry you so that as the, the human body, we are quite soft and flexible um, and we don't have to hold ourselves. We don't have to carry ourselves. We can really allow gravity to work for us. And we can do this together in this moment, just really feeling the floor underneath our body and how that um, I'm sitting at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you can you can do that sitting. Absolutely. Okay, I have to lower my chair to put my feet on the floor. There we go. Nice. Yeah, then you have two floors. You have the floor you're sitting on and the floor underneath your feet. Mm. And both through both the contact areas, you can like relax and be held by that power. There's a lot of energy in that mm. floor that's holding us. And that then also allows us to relax our belly muscles, which is such an important piece of resonance training that we don't hold our core um, and we really allow the center of our body to be expansive and open and flexible. A breathing out is more important than breathing in is another thing we learn. It feels like the opposite of what we learn in Pilates, you know, to keep the core really strong, yeah. stomach in and tight. It's like the, the polar opposite of that, right? It is the opposite. You are right. So, um, and in that sense, I would recommend everyone just try which one feels more at home for you. Do you want to contract your, your belly muscles or do you want to relax them and I think we are born to relax them like little babies when they um when they are born then like they have so much energy in in their belly because they haven't yet adopted that habit of um keeping their belly muscles in and then yeah uh so another principle of resonance is just allowing yourself to do a little bit of a swinging and pendulum and rotation over your center of gravity. And that allows your whole body to be more in, in relationship with the sounds you're creating, but also with the whole um, environment around you. So you're a little less separate. Yeah. You're more like- It's like a, like a, a swaying uh, movement, you know, sometimes, I've done that involuntarily, like I'm standing in a, a training or something like that, and I look around and no one else is doing it. So I think I get self-conscious, like, okay, why am I, why am I swaying, right? Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is true body intelligence. I think we are supposed to be swaying more and swinging and resonating with whatever's happening around us. We just have learned to then. Right. Uh, and still because right. what people think i was just gonna say what will people think and i can't tell you how many times as a child because i was hyperactive i was told sit still be still all yes. the time sit still and criticized for not being able to sit still yeah yeah i don't think we are supposed to be sitting still absolutely not well, good news. <laughs> I was wrong all of those years. Where were you when I was seven? And I felt terrible about not being able to sit still. Yeah, you're right. It's a whole new idea of bringing that into um, education and also music education. Like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, so as, as we keep going, 
what happened next? Uh, In my story. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I played a little bit with both resonance training and coaching, and it felt like there was a phase of, like, I had really good momentum. I still wanted to transform the music industry because I knew what was going wrong there or what was hard for some people in there. Um, so I had big ideas <laughs> about how to approach that. And I also started coaching more musicians, more on the, um, not music, but whatever else was important in their life. So that, um, that was a, a good phase of, yeah, this can really work. I, I did lots of beautiful workshops in uh, music universities um, in Europe. Um, I, noticed I, I noticed you said big ideas a little bit under your breath. What, what, yes. what, what is that? <laughs> yeah, about? interestingly, as I, as I said before, like more and more of my truth came to the surface. And at some point, I had to really admit to myself that this is not about music for me. Like music isn't my purpose. Mm -hmm. And I felt a little like out of integrity teaching musicians on how to do their best, highest performance, even though I, I was able to <laughs> teach them that. Um, I wasn't practicing myself anymore. Um, I, I didn't have any like ambitions in terms of being a musician anymore. And then there was a little bit of dissonance there. Mm -hmm. And I had to really look at, well, if it's not music, then what is what is my purpose? And what became really clear to me, I use the word emotion a lot in this uh, in this conversation, I noticed. And that is really it. Like I was always interested in people's emotions. What's their emotional experience? And what does it mean for them to to really express what's going on for them, not only on an intellectual level, but underneath? Like it's, it's like a different kind of music, right? It is music. You are right. That is music for me. And I think that was also what I was always looking for in music. Like sometimes music can really provide those like profound emotional yes. experiences. Um, not often enough, I must say, really. Sometimes it's more about the performance itself. Um, yeah, so for me, emotional expression is... Um, music and i'm here to like normalize emotion in many different ways i'm reminded of a um of something that my daughter sophia told me is she's a flamenco dancer and when she was in granada she learned a flamenco that was more about improvising and connecting with yourself and just seeing what your body wanted to do and then she went through more of a conservatory um more formal flamenco training and she said it, it trained the passion out of people it trained the improvisation out of people and she really disliked it she said mom I was so much happier with flamenco when when it was the raw flamenco you know for her yeah. the real flamenco where it was all about emotion and improvising wow in the moment when you speak about those two different approaches I can immediately feel how those with the raw um, approach, they were breathing, and those with the more technical, they held their breath. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> like, and, and that inhibits the emotional experience. Wow. It's maybe also the reason why we are not breathing, because we may, maybe don't want to feel what's really there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> So I know that your current work, like I'd love to hear about how your life purpose took you to this systems work that you're doing mm -hmm. now. And I, I want to hear about that. And I know that the people listening will be very interested in hearing about that. So yeah. this next chapter and your life purpose, where did it take you? Yeah, this next chapter is really now um, coaching and the work of NNI, the No Name Initiative. Uh, Janelle founded that. <laughs> um, and so NNI is a group process, dialogue process, that's all about um, uncovering the, the emotion within the system. Maybe I need to first <laughs> clarify a little bit what systemic yes. work is. So NNI, the No Name Initiative, um, has been developed from a research 
that Janelle did in South Africa. She wanted to find out what South African South Africans thought they needed for healing, transformation, equality. And um, it was very obvious that that they needed transformational processes that were were more accessible, that were like open to anyone, to the public. And so NNI was created to train anybody who wanted to be trained in dialogue facilitation, as we believe is important and possible that everybody can learn those skills and um, drive inclusive change in their community. So it doesn't always have to be an outside facilitator um, that comes into the community to do the work for them and they are paid and co most communities can't even afford that, but more an inside out approach. So what a, what a, yeah, what a wonderful, unique approach to give anyone and everyone the possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then systemic work also means we are in that dialogue, not working with the individuals that um, that attend the dialogue, but they are representing systemic voices that we know are uh, present in the larger system. So every system, every group or team or community is also a mirror of what's going on in the larger system. So that has a lot of advantages um, that makes visible what usually is a little less visible in the interaction of the systemic voices. We can see more clearly the patterns, the social constructs, anything that on a mind level gets in the, or behavior level, gets in the way of free flow of communication Mm, yeah. in that system that's one one advantage and the other thing is that we get to listen that's what we're trained in as nni facilitators to listen uh, for the taboo the unspoken which is often also the emotional it's what's what's the systemic voice underneath what's the energy of that voice that doesn't usually have permission to be expressed in society, but we are creating a container that's safe and free enough for that taboo um, to be expressed and for that emotional release to happen so that energy can then flow, flow more freely and the system can like, create a new paradigm to operate from. Yeah, it sounds like you really lean, lean into the, the collective intelligence of, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. We hold the system as whole and resourceful. It's not that we need to change anything and there's no problem in there. We only make it visible and we help the overall energy flow so that it can rearrange itself and um, find their new way of being. I love that. It's like you reveal the system to itself, just like we do with coaching where we, we work on self-awareness for the client so that once we bring something is brought to light in their awareness then they automatically do something about it so it's a systemic version of that right you reveal the system to itself and then the system self-adjusts exactly exactly and the same that we do with individuals like they have assumptions and beliefs that are not serving them and we make that visible to them the same happens on a larger scale with systems work where we have so many collective beliefs that are not visible for many many people and if we want to change them we have to find ways to make them like also on a felt sense uh experience um visible <laughs> that wasn't a full sentence but you know what i mean yeah it's like it's 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 intense because it's pulling up from the, the beneath pulling it up to the surface and having us interact with it, accept it, feel it, acknowledgement, acknowledge it, do something with it. I feel like, you know, my mind goes to like, wow, the whole United States needs this work. Every corner of the country needs this work. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, where whole, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of the whole political debate. Like if I look in Germany at the moment about the, the like um, discourse around the COVID, 
regulations. Like there is a lot of conflict, but if we listen for what's underneath, I hear fear speaking and blaming fear and fear attacking fear and another voice of fear coming in. Like, and energetically, it's all the same voice. It's just like attacking itself. It's like a fear fest. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? It needs to be heard. And because there aren't places where it really has permission to fully express, um, be expressed from a lived experience, therefore it comes out in these weird ways that are not, um, not actually beneficial for it. Yeah. The image that came to mind, you know how in coaching we put a name and a face on everything. If we put a, a name and a face on it, it would all be the same. It's like suddenly there would be this awareness of you're all, you're fighting each other. It's all the same thing. And that would be quite a powerful thing to be aware of. It's universal. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. That is exactly also what happens in an, in an eye dialogue where at some point, like something seems to relax into, oh, we're actually in this together. Like we all have the same experiences. Everybody can kind of identify with some of the truth in the other voices. It doesn't have to be absolute, absolutely not. <laughs> but yeah. there is like connection. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So how or what form did this start taking as you moved into it as a profession? Where did you take it? And yeah, what are you doing with it? Right. Yeah. So I, I am just simply part of NNI as it's a very like new uh, organization. It's, it has a backstory of 11 years now, which is wonderful. Um, but part of my job was to bring it more to Europe and make it more visible here because I thought like, great, South Africa, <laughs> you have something that's important and we need it everywhere in the world. So it's a, an organization that's slowly growing, both in, in terms of the nonprofit movement and the original purpose, which will always be the main uh, cause. Yeah. But then we are also an organization that provides these processes in, in companies to teams, because we, of course, also have to fund the nonprofit side of things. And we believe it's really important in the in the field of diversity and inclusion work. So I have a, a, a couple of questions since yeah, diversity and inclusion is, is become it's a huge topic, I think, internationally at the moment, or at least in the Western world. And I think in the Middle East as well. Um, you know what, how is this a game changer? And going forward, how do you see it being a big game changer in the world? I think one of the powers of it is that we work with what's present. We're not trying to find a solution for later or to achieve a vision. We, we start really with what's here. And when we start by looking, what are the voices that are already not heard in the present moment in whatever context we work in, and we reveal those, those hidden voices, that is where all the resourcefulness, where all the like um, all the wisdom of that system lies, and that's where we need to start. As soon as you know what your system is, what you're actually working with, you see what the real challenges are in there, and that usually brings out more permission for for stories to be revealed and told that before were just um, pushed underneath the carpet. Um, and I think that is really inclusion. We need to include the next thing that we can reveal and make visible in, in this particular context. I love it. It's like it's it's really honoring the whole truth. It's like we, we only honor this truth and it's like going underneath almost the shape of the world. It's going underneath and honoring yeah. the other side, the invisible yeah. part underneath. Yeah. yeah, I love that circle. I think it's yeah. So um, tell people a little bit about how they can find out more about this, like where can they get more information? And another thing that would be really cool is for those who, who, people whose, whose curiosity has been piqued with this, how could they start playing with it in their own lives or with their own teams for managers and leaders? How could they start using this? 
Yeah, great. So uh, the good thing is we always have public online dialogues going and um, I'll provide the, the link to, to a website where you can find out what these are and they are open to anybody. It usually has a theme at the moment online. Um, we provide that topic so that people know what they are in for. Yeah. Usually our idea would be that the group comes together and they find the topic together. But for uh, for practical reasons, we are now providing the topic and we trust that whatever comes out uh, on the day needed to come out. So that's a good way of experiencing the work in the first place. Vivka, can you give me an example of one of the topics? Like what, what might people expect? Yeah, the, the whole last year we had a lot of like what what the f is going on <laughs> and like, <laughs> we just wanted That's to a great topic. like around there <laughs> i feel like you can have that topic every single time <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah, exactly that's great um, <laughs> great one that always works like the next one will be oh, about the vaccine whether you want to be vaccinated or not and the whole conflict around that oh, interesting so um, hot topics. You, you you're dealing with hot, like hot topic, yeah. Yeah, gender inequality often. Um, yeah, but it could be anything really. It, it's like encoding. It's only the doorway into yeah. whatever the system need to reveal on the day. Um, so that's it's it's really a very interesting experience, and um, that gives people a good idea if that works, speaks to them or not. Um, then in terms of how people could apply this in their own life and work. Mm -hmm. I think the first question people need to ask themselves, how are they with the idea of multiple truths? Mm -hmm. I believe it's the worldview that is most appropriate for the complexity of our world and our life experience in general. Yeah. And then some people are still very attached to know only facts matter and only what I can prove is one truth and therefore if someone has a different opinion um, it's not valid yeah and that keeps us stuck in in this paradigm so I I just invite I would invite everybody to to see how how can you hold that there are more than your own truth how are you like being with that dealing with that um then also as you spoke about like team leaders and, and managers, what I find really interesting in terms of the systemic work is when there is a disturbing event or maybe an employee that like is, feels like is disturbing the, the flow, that we look at that event in the context of, okay, this is telling us something about us as a whole. It's not about this particular person. Like Right, right. So we need to listen to that person and we need to, to find out more about what's really going on and how can we create more safety for the underlying truth to be shared, knowing that if there is a problem, we are all part of the problem, but we are also all part of the solution. Um, so so we, we have a little like subject line that is called disturber as divine messenger oh. like it's really invited as oh wonderful so here we can really learn something about mm. our team about our organization that would probably be a radical paradigm sh paradigm shift for a lot of leaders and managers disturber as divine messenger so basically john says something very unpopular and rather than to say you know see if we can quiet down john it would be like oh What's the message John is bringing to the whole system and how can we use it to make things? Exactly, better? exactly. And that requires a lot of curiosity, of, of course, and also like safety. You need to make it safer for the message that's not yet safe to be spoken to come out. Because if, it, if something comes out as disturbing behavior, it usually is just means something else is underneath and we don't know yet what that is. Yeah, yeah. And the manager is often like, okay, I'll deal with him later. Or, you know, there's <laughs> some kind of repercussion. So number one is psychological safety. And then once you have that space where people, where voices can actually be heard, it's about 
any voice considering it a voice of the system as opposed to John or Mary or whoever's voice. Yeah, exactly. And John also is only a vehicle. It's only a representative of a larger group of people that has the same concern or complaint or experience or whatever that is. And in the moment we don't look at the individual, but we've noticed there is a systemic voice trying to tell us something, it also takes pressure off that individual and they yeah. feel, of course, more um, energetically they belong, um, yeah. more can relax. And freer to speak without being worried about repercussions or offending someone because they're holding themselves as a, as a voice of the system. Absolutely, yeah. So where has this not worked? Because that's it worked. It's interesting to hear about where this may have failed at some point and what you learned. For those who, those of people who are going to go out and try this, going to go yeah. try it at home or at work, like what are some tips of like, oh God, don't do that <laughs> or be careful? <laughs> well, you mean, shall I share a failure that I did as a trained facilitator? Um, I think it would be interesting for people like as a, you know, be careful yeah. with this because it is quite uh it's a different way to hold a team or a group um, or even the world. And I'm sure there are times when it can get sticky and, and maybe some things don't work. So yeah, yeah. any, any so tips I would not, not to do? <laughs> I would not really advise someone who isn't trained in that work um, yeah. to, to go through the like deepest emotional um, <laughs> experiences because we, in an NNI dialogue, we have a set of agreements that really provide that safe container. If you haven't created the safety and you haven't the agreement to work on it systemically, um, I, I wouldn't <laughs> really recommend doing so, that. Get, would it be okay, in addition to what we share with the audience, that set of agreements, or do you have to be trained in order to use that set of agreements? I think you have to be trained really in this. Um, and we do provide also uh, training in this, of course, and, and scholarships and everything. Um, so what I just shared, um, how people can play with it, is more like the mindset. How how do they look at their team? How do they look at the, at the people they interact with? And also being curious about what what is the voice that I'm hearing underneath all those words, um, for example, or what about that is. Trigger, triggering me, how could I be that voice? How could I um, step into it, mm -hmm. be with it for a moment and see how I can relate to it? So, so, so expensive. yeah, expensive, yeah, right, yeah. So, um, from my facilitation um, experience, I had one dialogue that I facilitated in Budapest, and it was in the context of a festival about Europe and the like, predetermined topic was Europe. And I thought everyone in this room wanted to be in a dialogue about Europe. And I worked really hard, which we should never do as facilitators, it's the same in coaching, to get them engaged and to, to have them go a level deeper and express an emotional level. I was really looking for the aliveness um, and, and there wasn't any aliveness. And I, I never had that in a dialogue before. Like usually I can feel very clearly, okay, the energy is more in this part of the system and here's something marginalized. And then you just like, you facilitate so that it comes to the surface. And in that di dialogue, nothing happened. <laughs> and it felt really dead and unalive. And uh, I think I, I really thought I need to prove that this works. What we found out later was that people were mainly there to observe the methodology. They wanted to find out what this work is like and whether they would be interested in it. They wanted to watch, they didn't want to participate. Exactly, exactly. And then you have 80% of the people uh, in the room and, and they I think it's a fair enough reason to come to a dialogue it's okay but I um I just didn't have any design with them around it um, in a training dialogue for example we always ask people to like, take their facilitator head off and be participant fully and then later on we could look at the experience so 
we didn't have that in place. But also, I think I had lots of assumptions about what would come out in terms of the topic of Europe, which is a really interesting topic, I find. Um, <laughs> and so I learned a lot about how we make assumptions constantly about any context we go into. And I was, yeah, initially I, I had been looking forward to it so much and then felt like a big failure. It just never is. <laughs> what? I said it was very anticlimactic for you. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it over again, Vipka. What would you do differently? Like what, what would you change? Well, I would, it's, it's really basic technical, technicalities as an NNI facilitator. You would name the unaliveness, you would position that as a voice. And you would ask that voice, what, what is this about? What's, what's going on? What can you tell us about you? And that probably would have provided a lot of answers. And sometimes you are so sucked into the process that you like forget your basics. That's good advice for, for anybody, leaders, coaches, managers, is that sometimes uh, you, you, you forget to go back to the basics. You forget some of the fundamental things that always work and that always need to be in place. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think that often happens when you have like a, a wave of like successful experiences and you feel almost too confident, you know, your stuff and you know, this is how it usually unfolds and then you trust it unfolds like that. And part of you isn't like fully present with what's going on or with it's, it's almost like, you know, the metaphor that comes to mind is like you get you get so used to it that at some point you start building the building without putting the, the foundation and you're, you're starting at the roof or the windows and you haven't actually right gone to put the foundation in place, which needs to be there every time, which is about psychological safety, designed alliance, hearing people's voices, feeling into what we call in the coactive model, right? The level three, all these things that, that inform you in every moment. Like you said at the beginning that feeling into what's needed now what's needed yeah. now right absolutely yeah exactly you can't jump ahead um it just really doesn't work because you want to provide a powerful experience for yeah, uh, yeah. and the danger zone of going into convincing anybody of anything right or performing or suddenly going oh my god i want them to get this or love this and suddenly right you've, you've lost the the connection in, in uh, about what's needed Absolutely. <laughs> so um, what advice do you have for people who might be interested in getting into this kind of work? Like what, what's something, maybe two things, like what's something you would have liked to have known before and maybe some advice about people who are thinking about getting into systems work or systemic work? Um, what I would have loved to know before, to would have known before, um, <laughs> Nothing really. I think it, it really people can feel whether that resonates with them or not. Like you, you need to be a little unafraid of emotions. <laughs> um, you need to um, have kind of a strong sense for equality. You want to create a more more equal systems in society. Those things are important. Um, yeah, what I hear there, because it has to be this kind of work really has to be aligned with your core values or your life purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of dirty work to do. Yeah. yeah. It's challenging. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that works very well for those people who feel like that's uh, yeah, like on vocational. purpose. With yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's great. What were some of the resources like along the way? What would you say? Where would you point to people in terms of maybe books, articles, resources, teachers, apart from the, the link that you're going to mm -hmm. share? Um, I think Arnold Mindel is a good uh, resource in terms of um, deep democracy, world work, um, all these concepts. Oh, you just froze. Are you still here? I'm here. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, some of the principles that we use are also um, introduced by Arnold Mindel in his work. He has written a lot of beautiful books um, 
on the application of, of de democracy and world work. That is interesting. What other resources? Um, I think that's really the biggest one. Anything that has to do with your own um, what we call working with triggers when you when you identify a trigger then often in coaching we go for what's your response and how do you process your response and with this work we would go the other way around like if you were to become that energy of the trigger and move that through you and let that transform your relationship with the trigger that is also how you can expand your own capacity to be with stuff that's uncomfortable to be with so would so, that look like metaphorically like if little red riding hood is walking through the forest and she's afraid of the wolf would that would that look like she needs to become the wolf or, <clears> connect, <throat> or connect with the energy of the wolf yes <laughs> that is such, such a beautiful example exactly <laughs> so i'm not sure if that's the right moment for her as in might be a little unsafe <laughs> to do that but maybe maybe they could actually she could become a little more like the wolf <laughs> like what if i was a little more aggressive and um and then she becomes the wolf and then she feels like okay i could be a little more aggressive how would that like serve me in my life okay you could use this here and there and this is how it feels like Right, okay. And then by the way, I now feel like this wolf can't trigger me anymore because I know him inside of myself. Maybe they become friends. So it's like turning an enemy into an ally, an inner ally. Yes, yes, exactly. That's that's the concept. Yeah, yeah. And as facilitators, I think we need to constantly do that work. It's very yeah. I have a, a lawyer, a lawyer who's I'm very upset with at the moment. I'm wondering how I could turn that person into an inner ally. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the what's the energy that comes towards you that you don't like about this lawyer? She's she's mean. I mean, like she's doing something that is quite um, mean, Cr cruel almost. Yeah. Right. How do, and, I, how do I use that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and she is already the the um, metaphor for that cruel cruelty and meanness. That person. She represents that quite strongly for you. Or I think um, so. At the moment, you know, she's doing something that is yeah is deliberately uh, mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would really ask you to become that like it's it's quite nice when we know a person who represents that we can step into it and feel what's it like in your body to be that mean cruel do you want me to do that right now if you want here's the thing we've got i have problems finding that in me i'm sure it's in there somewhere i mean we we have we are everything right Mm. A hard time finding mean and, and, and deliberately mean inside me. So, so here's the thing, you don't have to find it mentally or intellectually, you only have to find it physically. So we might have to do a little more work to identify yeah. what that energy is like that comes towards you, the mean, cruel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can we go there? <laughs> It's making me laugh because I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to scare our listeners. Like, we'll take this offline. Like, okay. <laughs> I would love to work with you on this because I feel like I, I could use a little mean. Like, it would be good for me. So Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's do that after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be really good for me. So um, another kind of question I'd like to ask actually you and then have you s give this to the audience is, you know, what's the best advice you were ever, ever given, or maybe one of the pieces of advice that's really served you in your life? And what advice do you have for people out there in the world? Really just about anything you want to share. Right. Um, one thing I already mentioned, but it's worthwhile repeating, like relax your butt, um, belly muscles. That I think creates a lot of trust in yourself, in the world, 
it just really is so much easier when you have enough oxygen in your body. Um, and that was a game changer for me. I had to really train myself to change the habit of contracting into, okay, I can, I can breathe and I have more energy available. So that was one piece of advice that changed my life. Um, and then it's also related to trust that I just mentioned. And that I think Osho said that the only thing, if you have to learn one thing in life, it's trust. Mm. And I, I, I read that at a time where I really needed trust. And I love that he simplified it to, okay, there's actually only one thing to learn and that's trust. How cool. Um, so the so question yeah. I have is, and I, you know, I can imagine your answer, but trust in what? That is for me in the overall bigger picture of how things happen in life. It's almost like, okay, I can let go of trying to control outcomes because most of it is not in my hands. There's a little portion of our lives that we can influence. And I think we should choose wisely in, within that portion. And that's where coaching can play such a good uh, role and important role. And then there's something larger and that has its own wisdom. It's already there. Yeah. yeah, that is not for me to decide whether it's good or bad or like it's, it's beyond that. I love that. I love that, uh, that saying or that question, who knows what is good and what is bad. And what you're speaking to is just, it sounds like it's trust existence, trust life. Trust life, yeah, yeah. Even though sometimes, well, it's hard to make sense of some of it. <laughs> Exactly, don't, but don't try to understand it. Just trust it. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Who are we to decide that we need to make sense of it? Like that's our little human mind that, of course, it's nice when we can make sense of it. But something beyond that is more a felt sense of, okay, yeah. this doesn't make sense here, but maybe it makes sense more in my heart or in my belly or in, in the overall. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I do have one of those little human brains that likes to make sense of everything. <laughs> we all, we all have that. I think that's, that's part of our human nature and it's beautiful. I think that's wonderful. We, yeah, making sense of, of stuff. Yeah. Trying anyway. So as are long you, as it serves us, yeah. What did, what did you say? As long as it serves us in, in, in the particular context we are in. Sometimes yeah. it does and sometimes it doesn't. Well, I love this idea of make you know keep i couldn't possibly stop trying to make sense of things in my head i think that's just how my head works but i love moving down and feeling the way things make sense in my heart or the way things make sense in my belly you know using my whole body to make sense of life i think um it will it would be easier <laughs> than just <laughs> trying to make sense from exactly. my head yeah exactly i think we also spoke about that um once not in this conversation about our transcendental connection that i think we are better off if we can in some way uh, connect to something that's larger than us and that's what we i know that i uh when i get stressed out i take a walk in the park and i look at animals uh, you know animals who, whose bellies are mostly soft and who are running around feeling their feet on the earth. And I think they're a great example um, yeah. to sort yeah. of get uh, inspired by in that moment of just come back to be, just come back to being, being alive, being in the moment. And if you can be being joyful, you know, like a dog playing in the park. I, that to me is it's watching dogs and babies <laughs> my daughter and I always talk about how let's go get some dog and baby therapy and we'll go walk in the park and we'll just look at them and we'll yeah. look at how they move, how they play and how they are and, and try to let them be contagious. Mm, absolutely. Exactly. It's yeah. For me, it's cats and squirrels and <laughs> trees. and <laughs> you're, you're in a different part of the world. I have too many, not too many squirrels, but, but yes, cats. Yes. 
cats. Oh, I love cats. We both love cats. Mm. Um, yes. I, and, and I, I used to uh, call my, when I had my cat, I would say, I need a little cat therapy. All I would have to do is pick him up in my arms or her. I had a male and a female. And when they purred, I felt like my whole body relaxed and I would call it cat therapy. Yes, it is. It is. They are resonating um, health and truth and wisdom and all you need, love. Little miracle, yeah. animal miracles. So are you ready to read our Rumi poem together? Because you know, at the end of every podcast, I do something creative and you invited me to read this poem, which is beautiful. I think a lot of people know part of this poem, but no, don't know the entire poem. And we're not reading the entire poem, but we're reading more of what people likely know. And it's just so beautiful. Rumi is one of my favorite poets by far. Um, mm. And uh, I think this is a lovely gift for, for people. Yeah, lovely. Are you ready? I'm almost ready. <laughs> okay, yeah, you just tell me when you're ready. It's okay. Maybe I have one, one more question before we, we mm -hmm. read this poem. What is the reason that you get out of bed every morning? Mm. The first thought was having conversations like this <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, wonderful people in my life. Um, yeah, that's definitely important. Thing. something purposeful to work on I usually have something going um, and then a good cup of black tea first thing in the morning I always look forward to that one is <laughs> the simple things right yeah I love that soulful conversations and or meaningful conversations and hot cups of tea <laughs> or coffee or whatever <laughs> just the little things okay that's great all right are you ready now yes <laughs> All right, so this poem is called, it's the middle verse of a poem called A Great Wagon by Rumi. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. <sighs> so good. How beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, for who you are, for the work you're doing out there in the world. May it spread like wildfire. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. It's yeah. always so beautiful talking to you. Yeah. Well, the world is going to know who Vipka Renner is. <laughs> Thank you. I love my conversations with Vipka because they're so soulful. And I just happened to have her here visiting. That was recorded, gosh, I want to say like a year and a half ago, something like that. And she's visiting from Berlin here in Valencia. So I have her sitting next to me as I'm recording this outro. Hello. <laughs> so she might chime in at the end. But what I want to underline from our conversation um, was so many things. It's actually difficult for me to choose. But the compelling, one of the compelling things for me was as she talked about closing a door and expecting many to open and in fact, what unfolded before her was quite different than what she expected and how she learned to live with questions. And when just when she thought she was coming into answers, more questions would appear. And I remember a quote from Rilke, if you want to look it up, that starts with, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. And it talks about how we need to learn to love and live with questions. 
And at a di very difficult time in my life, I read that over and over again, and it gave me quite a lot of strength. And I felt like it was a theme in this conversation, learning to live with the unknown and actually stepping into and embracing the unknown, trusting yourself and trusting the world. Um, so that was one of the things that, that I really thought was beautiful about this conversation, how she stopped following role models and started believing in and creating her own unique path. And I think that's all I'm going to say for now. I'm going to hand it over to Vivka. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to use the opportunity to thank you, Michelle, and I uh, want you to know how important that conversation was um, a little more than one year ago. And we had a few conversations around that. You really challenged me to own and celebrate my story and not dismiss my first career in classical music. And just releasing that, no, not releasing, but recording that podcast with you, that was a big deal for me to um, be ready to openly share that story. And I believe that played an important part in me making peace with music. And now, today, um, I'm playing the violin. It's just something I claimed a few weeks ago. And you're a big part of <laughs> that path unfolding. Thank you so much. I love you. Oh, I love you too. I hope once again, this has been a useful episode for you. Thank you for being here with us. And look for the next episode, which will be in two weeks in Spanish and following that the next one in English. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have any feedback about any of these episodes or suggestions about who you'd like me to interview. I love hearing from you.